Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21? We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17 this morning as we talk about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I'd like to read these verses of Scripture for you. Matthew chapter 21, verses, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 11, and then we'll pick up on the second half later in the message. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. The time had come to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, and every adult male in Israel was required to attend this observance. Thousands would come with their families from all parts of Israel, and it would swell the population of Jerusalem during these days. And Jesus also came with his disciples to observe the Passover, but he knew what awaited him. Several times on their journey toward Jerusalem, Jesus had told the disciples exactly what was going to happen when he came there. He said, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised to life. They couldn't understand what was going to happen. It was hard to them to fathom what Jesus was actually saying there. What did this mean? It was not what they expected. But they came along with a number of other Galileans traveling from the north. And as they came toward Jerusalem, the usual route that they would take would be to follow the Jordan River down to Jericho. And then at Jericho, they would turn to the west, and they would take the Roman road and begin this long, steep climb toward Jerusalem. The Roman road from Jericho to Jerusalem was 17 miles long, and it rose some 3,000 feet. And as you can imagine, when you travel through hills and mountains, it's not you know, a steady incline. It's up and down, up and down. It is a long journey by foot. They would come to Bethany, two miles to the east of Jerusalem, and Bethany was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then they would make their way to a little hamlet on the southeast slopes of the Mount of Olives called Bethpage. Bethpage means house of figs or house of unripe 
fades, which is kind of interesting considering the story that will occur a little bit later in Matthew where Jesus curses the fig tree. He curses it because it had leaves but no fruit. And it was a symbol of Israel that at that time had all the profession of religion and faith in God, but no fruit. No fruit in terms of their devotion to God. And then Jesus and the disciples would make their way over the top of the Mount of Olives. And as they did that, they would see a panoramic view of Jerusalem that would be like this. Except you got to take away the skyscrapers and things like that. <laughs> but as they came over the Mount of Olives, they would look at the Temple Mount. Today, the Dome of the Rock stands on the site where the Temple of Israel once stood. But they could see the whole courtyard there that was similar. Those walls were there in the time of Jesus. And they would make their way and they would see, you know, the thousands that had already come to Jerusalem that were gathered on the Temple Mount in that area. And the people who were on that Temple Mount could also look across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And they could see the crowds that were gathering there and the pilgrims that were coming to gather. And as the pilgrims came closer to Jerusalem, their excitement grew. It was an exciting time to come and to celebrate this Passover observance in Jerusalem. But more than that, on this occasion, word had spread about the healing of blind Bartimaeus in Jericho. Did you hear the story? Did you hear what Jesus did? The two blind men that were by the road, and one of them was Bartimaeus. Did you hear how he opened his eyes so that he could see? And not only that, word had spread about the resurrection of Lazarus in Bethany. Here was a miracle that wasn't done up in the north in Galilee. I mean, we had heard stories of these miracles that occurred up there. But here was a miracle that had occurred in our backyard, if you will. It was in Bethany. Lazarus had died and Jesus had come and He had been raised to life. These were miracles that they believed that the Messiah would do when He came. These were miracles that only God could do to open the eyes of the blind and to raise the dead. Messianic fever was running high. Could this be the Messiah? So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the crowds that were shouting and proclaiming Hallelujah, Hosanna to the Son of David were heard across the Temple Mount and the people in the city of Jerusalem were stirred and they asked, Who is this? Who is this one who is coming? Is he a prophet? Is he a prince? Is he the Messiah? Or is he a pretender or worse? It is the question that all of us need to answer. Whether you are here today as a skeptic or a seeker or a believer, all of us need to settle that question in our heart. Who is Jesus Christ and who is he in my life? The four Gospels were written to answer that question. We saw in that sketch before us Matthew, in a sense, taking notes. 
And I'm sure that they did that as they were led by the Holy Spirit to record these things so that we might hear and see and come to know who Jesus Christ is. John tells us at the end of his Gospel that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So let's take a look at what they say about Jesus. Matthew tells us in this passage of Scripture that Jesus came in fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus came in fulfillment of Scripture. The Old Testament contains over 300 messianic prophecies that were written over 1,400 years from about 1440 B.C. up to the time of Christ and all were fulfilled in Jesus. And we see one of those here. That is a staggering number. That's more than, say, if somebody was a skeptic and saying, well, maybe he tried to manipulate it to fulfill all of these. You couldn't do it. They referred to the place where he was born and the circumstances of his birth. They talked about his life, his ministry, the region where he would minister. They spoke about his betrayal and his death and his resurrection. Well, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, Matthew tells us that he sent two of his disciples to find a donkey and her colt. Mark and Luke only mention the colt and that it had never been ridden before. But it would not be unusual to find the colt with its mother. And here Matthew tells us that they brought them to Jesus. And why did they do this? Why this unusual kind of circumstance here? Well, he tells us that all of this was done in fulfillment of Scripture. In verse 5, uh, we see a quote that is taken from actually Isaiah 62.11 and from Zechariah 9.9. And this quote tells us that the king would one day come, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So many times in Jesus' ministry, he had commanded people and demons not to reveal his identity. Do you recall that? How many times he would do a healing or a cleansing of someone, and then he would say, don't tell anyone. Early in his ministry... He didn't want people to spread this word about who he really was because there was so much confusion about what the Messiah would be like. But now that Jesus is coming to this last week of his earthly ministry, now is the time when he will openly declare his identity in ways that the Jewish people would understand. And he does it in the fulfillment of Scripture here. The donkey was a beast of burden. It was ridden by royalty as a sign of humility, and it was ridden by a king who was coming in peace. And Jesus was announcing to the world that I am a king, and I come in peace. He came in humility. He is the prince of peace. The fact that this donkey had never been ridden before is, is significant on two accounts. For religious reasons, it had never been used for common purposes, and so it was set apart or sacred and useful to God as Jesus rode upon it as an offering for our sin. But also it's interesting to note that a young colt that's never been ridden 
would have more than enough strength to throw a rider or at the very least be very difficult to handle that first time it's ever been written. Yet in spite of the noise and the excitement of the crowd and the shouts of praise and all the commotion that is going on, this young colt is calm in the hands of the Lord of the universe. And Jesus is in complete control. 500 years before Jesus came to earth, Zechariah wrote these words that this is exactly how it would happen. Your king would come to you gentle, riding on a donkey, and specifically on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the people understood this. They recognized what was happening and they spread out their cloaks in honor of the king. It was a symbol of honor to lay down your outer garment and let him ride across and then take it up again. And they shouted their praise from the Psalms, quoting from the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalms 113 to 118. And they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the word Hosanna means, Lord, save us. Lord, save us now. Come, Lord Jesus, save us. And as this loud and excited procession made its way into Jerusalem, it's no wonder that the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this person? Who is this one who is coming? And the crowds answered that this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The problem with that answer, though, is that there are many people in our world today who would love to just simply acknowledge Jesus as a prophet and leave him there. That's why there are Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and even atheists who would say of Jesus that he was a prophet or that he was a good man or a religious leader or a good teacher. But the Scripture claims so much more. And so did Jesus. Jesus came claiming that He was the King. Matthew tells us that Jesus came with authority and power. And we see that in verses 12-17. to Let me read that for you. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Here was the king coming to inspect the temple. Here was God's son, the Messiah, coming to see what was happening in his house of prayer. Jesus' authority and His power were evident throughout His ministry. Jesus' authority was seen in His teaching. We read in Matthew's Gospel how after He had given the Sermon on the Mount, the people who heard Him were amazed at His teaching. 
because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When they heard the words of Jesus, it cut to their heart. Jesus' words had power. He didn't hedge what he said. He didn't guess, you know, well, I think it's this way or maybe it's this way. When he spoke, it was the very Word of God because he is God. And when he spoke, he didn't need anyone to tell him about the heart of man or what people were thinking. He knew what was in their heart. He demonstrated that on many different occasions, like the woman at the well. He knew everything about her, her previous relationships with men and the husband she had had. He knew her circumstances and he knew her heart and what she needed. And Jesus knew the hearts of those who questioned his ministry, those who were skeptics, those who doubted, those who were in opposition to him. He knew it because he is God. And he recognized what they were thinking. And so, here was one who could simply look right through you and me and know everything about us. He's that same God today. Even as we sit here this morning, He knows what's going on in our heart. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows what we are thinking. And His Word still has power to change hearts and minds. Jesus' authority was seen in His miracles. Jesus performed many miracles during the three years of his earthly ministry. He healed the blind and the lame. He cleansed the leper. He cast out demons. And he raised the dead. He calmed the storm. And on the occasion when he did that, even the disciples asked the question, Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. They were speechless many times in the presence of Jesus. And His miracles weren't pointless. They weren't done just to call attention to them for a miraculous sake. They were done to show who He is. And then He has the power to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. And these miracles continued into the last week of His ministry. We see that here when it tells us in verse 14 that the blind and the lame came to Him at the temple and He healed them. Jesus' authority was seen as He cleansed the temple for what we believe is the second time. John places the cleansing of the temple early in Jesus' ministry. And the other Gospels place it here in the last week of Jesus. And many have wondered, was there just one cleansing and did John put it earlier in his Gospel or were there two? You know, it's not unlikely that there were two cleansings of the temple. One early in his ministry showed his displeasure at what they were doing there. And then Jesus left and went to the area of the Galilee. And it wouldn't be surprising for those money changers and the people who were buying and selling and offering the sacrifices there to set up shop once again. And Jesus returns now and he cleanses, he drives them out and he claimed the authority to do that driving out the money changers who charged an exorbitant rate to convert the currency of the pilgrims into the shekel for the temple tax. And he overturned the benches of those selling doves who were charging excessively for the temple sacrifices. But Jesus wasn't appalled simply at their greed. 
He was appalled at what they had done to his house. He had turned God's house into a place of gross commercialism instead of a house of prayer for all the nations. And in verse 14, when he healed the blind and the lame, he was healing those who by their infirmities were excluded from worship in the temple. And he welcomed them and brought them in. Jesus still does miracles today. Sometimes they are physical miracles of healing in an individual's life. But the greatest miracle of all that we should not forget is the miracle of our salvation. When He opens our eyes, our eyes that were blind and did not recognize who He was, He gave sight so that we might see. And our heart that once was dead, if we have come to know Christ, is now alive. And these hands and feet that once were slaves of sin have now been redeemed and set free to serve Him. Who can do that? No one but God. This past week, I met with a young man from our church who was telling me of the change that God has made in his life this past year. A remarkable change of God setting him free and changing his heart and opening his eyes to see things in a new way by the power of His Word. The Word of God continues to do that. It brings conviction to our heart. It brings power and encouragement. It helps us to look at life through God's eyes. But what was the response of the leaders who saw all of this? How did they respond to what Jesus was doing? It says in verse 15 that when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw these wonderful things that Jesus did, you would think that they would be overjoyed and rejoicing at what God was doing in their midst. But when they saw the miracles and they heard the children shouting their praise to Jesus, they were indignant. Who was Jesus to them? Jesus was a pretender to the throne. Jesus was not the Messiah they did not believe. He was a threat. And they plotted how they could kill Him. Thirdly, Jesus came as the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus' claims go far beyond that of a mere man. Jesus claimed to be God. He would say in His earthly ministry that I and the Father are one. We are one in essence. We are of the same nature. He would say that before Abraham was born, I am claiming that pre-existence as well as taking the very sacred name of God, I am, and applying that to Himself. On that occasion, the Jews took up stones to stone Him because Jesus, as a man, was claiming to be God. They understood what he was doing. In this passage, he quotes Jeremiah 7.11 as his own when he says that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And he welcomes the praise of the children by quoting Psalm 8 verse 2 when he says, Have you not read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? In Psalm 8, verse 2, the praise of the children is directed to God. But here it is directed to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't command them to stop. He doesn't say that I'm just a man, don't worship me. He receives their praise and their worship. 
It's the children. In contrast to the religious leaders who recognize who he really is. And they worship him. And it will continue that way in heaven throughout all of eternity. We will worship the Father and the Son. Paul tells us that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the King. And He is coming again soon. And the next time He comes, it won't be on a donkey. But it will be on a white horse. A charger. Ready for battle. And He will come with all the hosts of heaven with Him. In the book of Revelation, John said, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, now is the time to surrender to the King. Jesus came in His first coming in peace and humility. He came to bring salvation to all men. And in this interim period in which we live is the time to bow our knee before Him, to ask for His forgiveness and grace in our life, and to receive Him as our Savior and Lord. Because when that next day comes, when He returns in power and might with all the hosts of heaven, it will be too late. There will be no opportunity then. But He will come to bring an end to this world as we know it today. And He will come and establish His kingdom on earth. So who is Jesus to you? Is He just a prophet? Is He a good man, a good teacher, and that's all you believe that He is? Is He a pretender, you think? Someone who falsely spoke these words? Or is He your Savior and King? Would you like Him to be? Let's pray. Father, we bow before You today and we thank You for Your Son who has come to purchase our salvation. We remember those actions this week that accomplished that for us. And Father, I pray for those who are here today. You know where we all stand before You and what our relationship is with You. If You are here this morning and if You would like to receive Jesus as Your Savior and Lord, I invite You to open Your heart to Him and to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I need You. And I ask You to come into my life and to forgive my sins and to be my Savior and Lord. Help me to know You better and help me to live for You. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to die on the cross for me. I pray this in your name. Amen.